Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our guests this evening are Lynn Andrews and Robert Taylor, whose collaboration has brought forth the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards. Lynn is the New York Times and internationally best-selling author of the Medicine Woman series, which chronicles her three decades of study and work with shaman healers on four continents. Today, Lynn is a best-selling author of 20 books and recognized worldwide as a leader in the fields of spiritual healing and personal empowerment. A shamanic healer and mystic, Ms. Andrews is widely acknowledged as a major link between the ancient world of shamanism and modern society's thirst for profound personal healing and a deeper understanding of the pathway to enlightenment. Artwork for the cards is by celebrated artist Robert Lee Taylor, a Native American whose illustrations reflect his own spiritual journey and illuminates the cards' messages. And you can visit Lynn's website, which is Lynn Andrews, L-Y-N-N-A-N-D-R-E-W-S dot com. And there's a link in our show announcement with a very long URL for um, Robert's um, artistic work on askart.com. So at the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who has a question or comment for our guests. You can check out our online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any of our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, emotional, physical, or spiritual for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference for you. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you're going to need to order it at least three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia, welcome back. Well, thank you, Arielle. It's great to be back. It's just wonderful to be with you. And it's already October. Holy moly, no surprise, huh? But time is going so fast. And if you've been outside and looked up, maybe you've noticed that we have a beautiful harvest moon going on right now. 
the harvest moon is, uh, that's what we call it, the harvest moon. It's one of the most well-known full moons of the year. It's now rising and it's shining bright in the autumn sky. Now, the harvest moon is the moon that falls nearest the autumnal equinox. And it's the full moon that provides the most light at a time when it used to be needed the most. That was in the old days to complete the harvest. I went outside uh, last evening with the moon high in the sky and I was contemplating, um, gee, it's not as bright as the, the uh, street lights. Um, how, how could they have seen by the light of the moon? But it didn't take but a second to realize that in the ancient days, people didn't have street lights. Their eyes were acclimated to much dimmer light. And indeed, if one gets away from the city, many of you live out in the country or out in the desert uh, that don't have the uh, uh, ambient lights from metropolitan areas, you can certainly see how the full moon lights up the landscape. And so that's why they call it the harvest moon, because in the old times that allowed people to work by the light of the moon to get their harvest done. Now, this moon is falling just days before our uh, incoming Drachnid uh, meteor shower that will peak on the 8th of October later this week. And that does mean that many of these meteors from this shower will probably be washed out by the moonlight. It is only a minor meteor shower anyway. It peaks with about 10 meteors an hour, and the best views occur during the early evening. So if you live in a place where you can see these meteors, and after the moon sets, uh, maybe you'll get it, or before the moon rises, you'll get a chance to catch a few meteors. That is peaking on the 8th of October. See if you can find them and wish upon a star. That's a wonderful <laughs> thing to do. I love, I love to do that. Well, we also have a house-sized asteroid that's going to come very close to Earth next week as it passes 27,000 miles away. That's not very far when we're talking about astronomical distances. They say that this asteroid is estimated to be up, 100, up to 100 feet wide, and it's set for its close shave with the Earth. Uh, let's see, what day? October 12th is when it's supposed to come past, 20,000 miles above our surface, and some scientists are just saying it. Frankly, they're calling it damn close. Now, this space rock is dubbed Asteroid 2012 TC4, um, as I said, about 100 uh, feet uh, across, and uh, it is, let's say, it's first uh, flitted past our planet October 2012. But when it came by that time, it was double the distance of this time. So they've been tracking it very closely. They're nervous about it. When they say something's damn close, you know, they, they don't usually say things like that. And so they have uh, checked it out, and they say, well, we're pretty sure it's going to make a safe passage. So there it is, pretty sure <laughs> uh, it will make a safe passage. I don't suppose they'd tell us even if it wouldn't. But anyway, that's, uh, that's interesting, a house-sized asteroid. And uh, Hubble uh, Telescope has spotted the farthest ever incoming active comet from the Oort cloud. The uh, Hubble uh, Space Telescope scope has photographed the furthest discovered active inbound comet. It's called C2017K2. And this comet's orbit is indicating that it comes from the Oort cloud, which, as you probably know, or maybe you don't, is a spherically shaped reservoir almost a light year in diameter, carrying leftovers from the formation of our solar system 4.6 billion years ago. 
they are getting to see further and further into space. It's uh-huh. really very yummy, very yummy stuff. Well, we have got volcanoes and volcanoes and more volcanoes going off. Now, um, we are having a volcano going off in Bali and Vanuatu, and I'm trying to keep these straight, and also Mount Agung in Indonesia. And they say that when Bali's Mount Agung finally erupts, it's actually going to cool the Earth's temperature. Now, um, you might not think that a volcanic eruption would cool the Earth's temperature, but if you think about it in a minute, and many of you probably have already thought of this, um, the ash cloud uh, interferes with the radiation of heat from the sun. And uh, last time the Agung volcano erupted in 1963, global temperatures dropped by 0.1 to 0.4 degrees Celsius. So it's actually going to affect the Earth's temperature. This comes from Australia, by the way, this report. And thousands of people have been evacuated on Ambe Island in Vanuatu as two volcanoes threaten to erupt. The entire uh, population of Ambia, that's how you say it, is being moved from the path of this increasingly active Moreno volcano, also known as Lombinbin. This is according to the government there. And that's not all. On the Indonesian island of Bali, more than, check this out, 144,000 people have been taken to shelters as authorities are warning that Mount Agung in the north of the island is going to erupt at any time. And both volcanoes sit on the Pacific Ring of Fire, which, as you all know, it's an area of intense seismic activity that stretches 25,000 miles all the way from New Zealand to South America. And speaking of Vanuatu, um, that volcano has polluted the water on that island, and the people are having to leave the island because they have no drinking water. I guess it has ash and uh, that sort of thing in the water, and these people have no water. It's contaminated the entire island's water sources. That's Mm. not the only volcano. Let's see if I can say this right. When the, the, the volcano in Iceland is much harder to say than this one. Remember <laughs> that one? I'm not even going to say it now. I can't say it unless I'm looking at it. But uh, this one that's hard to say, Mexico's Popocatapetl. There we go. The Popocatapetl volcano has roared back to life, and it's spewing incandescent material in a large plume of ash and smoke into the sky. Now, it is... Uh, it's been said that this is the fourth big eruption in recent days. And uh, the ne- Mexico's National Disaster Agency says the eruption of the volcano was unrelated to the earthquake that shook uh, earlier, uh, later last September, excuse me. Now, the eruptions came just a week after Mexico was hit by two major earthquakes, uh, that 7.1 on September 19th that killed 330 people. So related, not related, seems to be sort of related to me, but I'm not a geologist. Now, this active this volcano has been active since the mid-1990s, and it's had some pretty significant eruptions. Now, do you know there are more than 3,000 volcanoes in Mexico? No. That's amazing. That. And they yeah. have 14 active ones, 14 active. Wow. Yeah. Well, and in Bundaberg, Australia... Uh, they had a monthly ra- rainfall uh, that smashed the records. They had um, 
13 inches in 24 hours. And the weather's been so severe there, it's damaged the Queensland coast with power outages, flooding. Um, they thought they had a tornado. Uh, Bundaberg has just been battered by wet and crazy weather and resulted in the all-time record rainfall for an October in just one day, like I said. It had 13 wow. inches in 24 hours. More than 3,000 properties were without power, and there was significant flooding all across the area. And, boy, you know, summer's left us, autumn is here, but maybe winter is coming faster than we think because the Rockies are getting more snow. It's just another day and another early uh, snowstorm for the Rockies. Mother Nature has unleashed more than a dusting in Colorado. Actually, they've gotten as much as 19 uh, inches in steamboat. And Arapaho Basin and Loveland are kind of in a race to see who the first resorts to open for the season. Well, both of them received 17 inches of snow. And this storm also caused one of the first snow-related closures on I-70. So already closing interstates because the snow is coming down. And they're saying that this is um, really creating havoc on the mountain roads in Colorado. And there are power outages in about 45,000 houses uh, up in the high country, 45,000 people without, without power. You know, I really have to wonder about that. But that came out of a local newspaper, 45,000. Well, we're going to leave that open to possible error. That's what it says, but so we'll, I'm just reporting what I'm reading, but that seems like an awful lot. And that's not all, because they're not done with their snow. There's more in the forecast. They're expecting up to two feet of snow in elevations uh, above 10,000 feet. I'll see, do I have that right? Doesn't say where they're expecting the snow. Uh, just up to two feet. They say that the mountains along Interstate 70 are going to get the heaviest snowfall, and are predicted to have uh, eight to 18 inches of accumulation. And yes, the higher elevations they're calling for two feet. Now this is October 3rd. It's early. Hmm. So wow, get out your snowblowers, people. Wax yeah. up your skis. <laughs> Light up the fireplace. Make some hot chocolate. It's coming early to Colorado. I'm glad it's not coming early, early here. How about you, Ariel? I'm glad it's not here yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I love palm trees. And uh, Los Angeles, that's what I love about Southern California, having been from there, lived there. Um, and Palm Desert, uh, 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 Palm Springs, love it. Lived there, love the palm trees. They're iconic for Southern California. And uh, we have a problem. You know, uh, these palm trees... Uh, have been in countless movies, haven't they? I mean, you've seen it on posters and videos, and you see a palm tree, and, and a lot of times you think about Los Angeles. Well, um, apparently there's not going to be too many palm trees for very much longer because L.A.'s palm trees are dying. And they say that most of them they're not going to replace. Um, but this goes way beyond Los Angeles. There is something called the South American palm weevil, and a fungus called fusarium uh, that's killing palm trees all across Southern California. And others that aren't being affected by these two things are dying of old age. And um, nature uh, enthusiasts are saying that this is going to change the overall aesthetic of Southern California because the palm trees are so distinctive. Um, They say that uh, 
1990, the estimated number of palm trees on the city uh, streets of Los Angeles were 75,000. That's a lot of beautiful palm trees. And they say now the, um, the population is starting to drop off. Now, they don't know how many are going to die or how fast they're going to die, but um, they don't know if they're ever going to replace them. And, and that's not all, because the, the same bug, the same weevil, is invading uh, Coachella Valley in Southern California, Palm, uh, Palm Springs area. Um, the, be- the weevils are eating up the palm trees. And uh, the palm tree industry and the date palms, do you like dates? Date oh, yeah. palms are grown there in the Coachella Valley. And uh, this particular type of, of weevil only targets palm trees. And uh, they're tracking the bugs uh, as they've left a path of destruction from Tijuana to San Diego. And um, they're now infecting the Coachella value. And they, not only is it going to change the landscape, but it's going to affect industry and agriculture. So that's really a sad thing. They had a picture of these weevils on the Internet, and they're enormous. They're, they're huge. I would jump if I saw one. Uh, they look to be maybe three inches long, perhaps. Uh, they're probably twice the size of a quarter, if you put a quarter end to end. So a pretty scary thing and a pretty sad thing, and it's it's really, really sad to lose those beautiful trees in that part of the country. These weevils can fly 10 miles in a day, and they're actually having emergency meetings with federal and state agricultural departments to try to figure out what in the world they can do to stop this devastating in- infection and infestation. And they say that some in, in the Coachella Valley, there are weevils that have been trapped uh, in these little trap boxes that they have, but they don't know um, how many trees that have been killed yet. They're, they're just now starting to munch away. So anyway, that's a sad thing. I really hate that. It's too bad. Well, in Montana, they're having record snowfall. Um, they have up to 15 inches of snow in Montana. Um, Havre, Montana, was pounded by a record snowstorm. I don't know where that is. Some of you starseeds that live in Montana might want to write me a, an email and tell me about that. Do any of you live up in this area? But they say that um, it's covered all the leaf-covered trees, and because the, the leaves haven't fallen off the trees yet, the snow's coming down, it's broken down limbs, and it's caused power outages. And um, they say that that has uh, been a record there in that part of Montana. And in Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, uh, they also have had record snowfall. So it's just winter coming early. And here's a wild story, not just snow coming out of the sky, but not just water coming out of the sky. You want to guess what's fallen from the sky in Tamal, uh, Tamaulipas, Mexico, Ariel? I can't guess. Fish. Fish. <laughs> in northeast Mexico, a light rain came along that was accompanied by fish that were falling out of the sky. And, um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. According to the U.S. Library of Congress, this is a phenomenon that has been reported since ancient times. Scientists believe that tornadoes over water, sometimes called water spouts, could be responsible for sucking fish into the air where they're blown around and around and around until they're released to the ground. Well, that's a possibility, but, you know, gee, that's a long way to carry fish and a long time to hold them up. I don't know if they had tornadoes nearby but uh, that might have pulled the fish up, but I don't know what caused it, but 
that's what happened. Rain and fish falling from the sky in Mexico. Some people would call that maybe a sign of the times. X-Files. And in India, what's that? <laughs> X-Files. Yeah, abs- I think they X-Files. had that on the X-Files show one time. <laughs> exactly. No kidding. I think they yeah. did. And, you know, you don't yeah. – I remember uh, hearing about that when I was a child, but I don't think that since I have been an adult I have I known of that happening. I think that's a pretty rare occurrence. I do. Uh, let's hope it doesn't happen too much. We don't need that. We don't want a lot of fish falling out of the sky. Uh, there had, was a cloudburst in India. They had, they got five inches of rain in five hours. Caused uh, really a heavy um, problem that caused people uh, to die. Actually, it killed seven people in the city of Hyder. How do I say that? Hyderabad, in India, and it created uh, traffic jams. It caused damage to property. Caused flooding. Uh, so in India, they have had. Again, extensive rain. This has just been going on and on and on all across the planet, time and time and time again, extreme weather events. Well, uh, I'm going to end tonight's show by just uh, bringing up a point about sleep. Um, Some doctors and researchers are saying that there is a hidden epidemic, that we are dream-deprived, and that that is worse condition than being sleep-deprived. Of course, if you're sleep-deprived, you're going to be dream-deprived, right? Right, yeah. But but dreams are so very necessary for mental and physical health. Um, They say that at the bottom of many of the health issues that are attributed to sleep loss lies this hidden epidemic of dream loss. And uh, they are um, really concerned um, about this what would I say, a hidden or unrecognized problem that people do not recognize the importance of dreaming. You know, when a, when a, a person is sleeping, um, later into the night and into the early morning, are, are people able to experience dreaming during the REM sleep? The non-REM sleep is uh, something different, but during REM sleep is when we dream. And dreaming is very, very important to psychological health, very important to stability and to balance and to handling stress and to unloading things that the brain carries around and needs to work out, okay, let go of. And I'm wondering, um, with an increase in the episodes of crazies that we see going on now, if somehow that could possibly be related to disturbed sleep cycles, Mm, something to think about. So anyway, are you getting enough sleep starseeds, and are you getting enough dream time? Mm, I'm hoping that you make sure you do, and if you're not, let's fix that. It really is very, very important to be able to dream, hopefully dream good, but, you know, all dreams have meaning. All dreams are helpful, so be sure you're getting enough sleep and that you're allowing time to dream. So something we don't think about very often is being a part of good health. We may drink bottled water. We might take all of our supplements. We might do our exercising and and be gluten-free and sugar-free and all that stuff-free, whatever. But we need to be able to dream and to sleep, of course, naturally. So part of taking care of yourselves, guys, get sleep and dream well. All right, well, that's it for tonight's news, Ariel. It's been a pleasure. Be with all of you again next week. From my heart to each one of you, much love and uh, peaceful journeys for the next week. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you, Anastasia.
for the Starseed News, and we will um, be back with that next week. So um, right now I am going to get these microphones open uh, for our guests and Lavendar. I'm going to open your mic too. And let's see, there's Robert and Lynn. I saw you there somewhere. There we go, up here. We have a lot of people <laughs> on the switchboard tonight, so it's kind of kind of hard to uh, find everybody all at the same time. Okay, all mics are open. And Lavendar, take it away with Lynn Andrews and Robert Taylor. Well, hello, Lynn and Robert. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have you. Lynn, I have had your power deck for years, so I'm really excited about this new deck that you sent to me to look at. It's it's wonderful. So welcome, Lynn. Oh, well, thank you so much. I love the news that you just had. That was quite interesting. And I think what she was saying about dreaming is, of course, totally important to us. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great, great part of shamanism. And, um, you know, the cards, all of my books, all of the things that we do, the events we give, all have to do with living your dream, your sacred dream, and being able to remember them. So I'm so glad she mentioned it. Yeah, good. (laughs) So... You, you, you've had a lot of um, books out through the years, and and I have really uh, honored the work that you've done all over the planet. But I wanted to know, uh, after 25 years, why did you decide to do another deck, and how is it different? Well, this deck is quite different. Um, it is something that I did because I think we needed a quickening. I think we need a, I think we do need a quickening um, to wake us up, to kind of give us, um, instead of all the magnificently beautiful images that take us into uh, other worlds, uh, this is a deck that has Robert Taylor's magnificent paintings that are a bit surreal in a sense, that it's a tough deck. You look at the paintings, they're so beautiful, but there's so much within them that says, for heaven's sake, wake up. What <laughs> What do you mean I'm not responsible for the wars in the world? Well, in a way, we are, aren't we? I mean, we're all responsible for our own environment, whatever that may be. And we have to take that responsibility. Um, oracle, this is an oracle deck, meaning that um, we need to find and awaken the vision and the insight and the voice of wisdom um, that is inside of ourselves so that we can go back to a kind of truth and harmony in our lives. Don't you think? Yes. Can you expand a little bit more about what an oracle is? A lot of people may not know that are listening to our show. Of course, we have a very awake audience, so a lot of them will know what an oracle is, but just kind of give a brief description of what an oracle is. Well, when we think of oracles, we typically think of the traditional oracle from ancient times, a high priest or priestess who goes into a trance to commune with a deity, 
and prophesy the future or reveal to us or someone um, our divine purpose in life. In other words, someone outside of yourself who is supposed to give us the vision and wisdom that we seek. But um, I certainly believe strongly that the most profound voice of vision and wisdom you will ever experience is the voice that comes from within you and speaks to you of what is real and true for you. And sometimes uh, these truths uh, maybe don't even, you don't even know that you're carrying them until you see or read something that awakens them. So the Oracle deck um, embraces that voice of wisdom that's part of you that maybe you have had trouble uh, accessing. You know, lots of times we know we're walking down a path, but we don't know quite where it's leading. And to have someone that's walked before you sometimes is really an enormous help. And these cards give you that. You look at them and you go, golly, you know, what is that? What is he holding on to? What is she doing? And you look carefully and then you read on the back of the card the teaching that goes along with it. And Ariel, this is, you know, very similar to the power deck, except that it is a quickener. These are stronger cards um, instead of beautiful landscapes and so forth that were in the power deck. This is more, I guess you might say, more personal. And um, they activate you. you. You can't help it. You look at these paintings and, and they stir something inside of you. And the teachings hopefully do the same. And um, that, so anyway, that's why I did or wanted to do this oracle because um, it awakens your insight. You know, people are frightened. We, all these terrible things like what um, has happened in Las Vegas and what has happened all over the Middle East, all the kinds of things that we feel like we don't have any control over. But in actuality, we have a lot um, of, maybe you wouldn't want to call it control, but we certainly have um, the Influence. active thought. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, what you think and how you speak um, has a tremendous influence. So this deck is about, hey, be careful of the words that you use. Take care when you're conveying a thought to somebody. Did you think of this or did somebody just tell you or did you just read it somewhere? Have you ever done the research to find, gee, what is really true here? Why did this person act the way that they did? Do you know what I mean, Ariel? Yeah. yeah. So is there a special way for you to use this deck? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there is a book that comes along with it, and <clears throat> it is um, filled with different ways that you can lay out the cards I think the sacred wheel is so powerful because, you know, we use the sacred wheel a great deal 
and our teachings. And it's a paradigm for the process of mind. You know, we think about things. We think about a problem that we have or a decision that we have to make. And uh, so often we just go off track because our thoughts are everywhere and we can't pull them in and, and see them well enough. So we take the sacred wheel. If you just draw a circle and a cross in the middle of it, you have four directions inside of a circle. And in the bottom direction, I call the south, which is manifestation of the physical. So if you have an issue, you, you think about how is this physically affecting me. Then you go up to the west, which is the sacred dream. Death and rebirth is your emotions. And you think, gosh, you know, how is this affecting me emotionally? And, um, and have I ever dreamed about this situation? Is this part of my dreams? Then you go to the north, which is spirit. Uh, and it is your divine inspiration and your connection with the divine, whatever you have uh, chosen as the divine in your life. And how much time do you give to that divine uh, aspect of your life? And then you go to the east, which is basically mind, and you think about... Well, you talk to the old wise one who sits in the East and you ask her or him about, is this a rational idea? Is this something I should do? Or maybe I shouldn't do this. Um, what do you think, wise one? And where on this sacred wheel is the humor and the fun and the joy? You know, we take our issues so um, well, they are personal, obviously, but we become almost self-important with them. And we forget that this is a joyful life. And the self-importance that comes in, I see it so much today with people. And I know what's right, and I'm a this or I'm a that and I'm of this political party, and you're of that, and I'm right and you're wrong, or my religion. Do you know what I mean, Ariel? Yes. Uh, my name is Lavendar. Ar Ariel is my co-host. Oh, you're Lavendar. He's the one that came on. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. I, I got That's confused. Okay. It's not, okay. uh, <laughs> not unusual for me to be confused, by the way. Okay. <laughs> um. So let me but, ask you... Um, what can someone learn by about their lives from using this deck? Oh, golly. Uh, you can learn everything because the ideas that are on the back, the wisdom that's on the back of each card, and then the painting. Oh, my golly. You can ask anything about your life, you know, and put it on the wheel like I was just telling you. Um, and that wheel is um, is so helpful. I have a, a course going on right now, or just starting. It's a an online course about how to use this deck. And it is so uh, extraordinarily helpful. And it startles you a little bit. 
I think, the images. They startle you and you go, gosh, you know, what, what is this saying to me? And you search your mind and your heart for things that um, maybe you didn't realize you were carrying. Like, let's just say anger. You know, you'll find an oracle in each of the cards and uh, maybe it upsets you or makes you angry. And remember that we heal wounds and build self-esteem by examining both the positive and the negative aspects of ourselves and those aspects that are present and those that are missing. So don't be afraid to ask the oracle what it comes to teach you. You know, why did I draw this card? What am I supposed to learn from you? You know, can I tell you just a quick little story, Lavender? Yes, yes. go ahead. Um, I, I wrote a book in Australia called Crystal Woman, Woman of the Sacred Dream Time. And I was there uh, working with a magnificent Aboriginal woman of high degree. And we were walking through the outback, through the red desert, and I was kind of scuffing along and saying, how can one person really help this world? You know, what is it all about anyway? And, And it'll never make any difference. And finally, Jenny V, who the name of the woman that I was working with very closely, she stopped walking, and she was carrying a dilly bag that had her um, sacred belongings in it and a digging stick and so forth. And she pulled out a crystal, and she held that crystal up to the sun. And the sunlight threw these prisms of magnificent colors all over the desert. And oh, they were so beautiful. And she said to me, then. You must remember that people are like crystals. It is the flaws within them that creates the beauty. I love that. And it's a, it, it was wonderful. It pulled me up short, let me tell you. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> and I thought, thought about it, and I thought, you are being such a dummy. You know, it is true that in our society, in the West, we tend to hide whatever flaws we have, don't we? I mean, I think we all do. And what really is the truth of things is that we do um, have issues that we need to deal with. We, I think, I mean, it's been my experience, and I don't ask anybody to believe anything, um, even though my books are, are wild. But and they're about my life. But uh, I really uh, think that we chose to come here to learn dif- different things about our own spirit, to heal ourselves. Yes. And <clears throat> it is those imperfections, what we call imperfections, flaws, that create the b- beauty in your life. You know, you're you're healing things, and that's a great beauty. And uh, so that's what I have, I guess, done with my life. I have How always... does this deck relate to your, your other 20 books that you've published over the years? Well, 
<laughs> my 20 books are about, they're autobiographical. They're about my life um, from living in Beverly Hills, making movies, working, dealing in art, being married, having a daughter, to, uh, in the first book, it takes me to Manitoba, to the far north, to with two teachers, two extraordinary uh, Native American uh, women, uh, Agnes Whistling Elk and Ruby Plenty Cheese. And this, the whole this whole um, series began with my having special abilities. I think everybody has these, but they just became very apparent to me when I was five, six years old. I could see lights around people, and I, I had a sense of their innate need for healing, what it is that they needed in life. And I could see this, and the first time I ever expressed it was to my best friend, who happened to be a Native American girl. And we were riding our ponies to to school, and I said that I could see the red lights around her and that I knew that she had been terribly hurt that morning by her dad because everybody knew he was a very abusive alcoholic. And when I told her that I could see this light around her, she was absolutely frightened. And we almost broke up our friendship over it because I think she felt I was invading her privacy. And so it was so profoundly hurtful to me that I just began to hide who I was for many long years. And I realized as I was... Uh, <laughs> coming out of high school and college and all of that, that I really, really, nobody can pretend to be someone that they are not. And and also, you cannot hide who you are. You have to um, celebrate who you are. And if uh, you find flaws and painful aspects in there, uh, within your soul, you need to to realize that the heart loves and the mind does not love. And the mind can be conditioned. If you've had abuse early on in life, you are conditioned perhaps to not feel worthy, uh, maybe that you can't really um, succeed in this life. And so the cards help you with things like that. Um, things that you don't want to recognize in yourself. So you draw a card and you begin to look at yourself and you go, boy, you know, it would, the, the deck becomes like a teacher and you can go to the deck every day and pray. You can just draw one card and it's a point of view, say, for the day. Gives you something to think about. Maybe the card says humor or magic or um, spirit or whatever. And you, you begin to see how it relates to what's going on in your life and how maybe you can deal with it differently. I don't know if I answered your question. I'm all yes, over the place. <laughs> I wanted to ask you... Um, uh, tell 
tell us how you met Robert Taylor, and how did you decide that he was the artist to do your deck? Well, <laughs> we were in Santa Fe. I live part-time in Santa Fe and part-time in Arizona at this point. And um, we walked up Canyon Road one evening, and there were galleries that were open, art galleries, and we saw this one art gallery that we hadn't seen before up towards the end of the road. And there were all kinds of people there, and there were beautiful bronze um, elks and animals standing out front, beautiful things. And you walk in, and here were these magnificent paintings of Native Americans and, you know, the like the paintings on my cards. And I was just astounded by them. And I asked where the artist was, and he was there. And we went to talk with him. And he is such an extraordinary um, visionary um, and artist. And I just, I just wanted to tell him how they affected me. And so that relationship began at that point, and we uh, became friends, and he showed his paintings, and we would go to wherever he had an opening. And finally, one day, I thought, you know what? These paintings are so, um, they awaken you. And my other friends were having the same feelings. And I thought, why don't we do a deck of cards? Because, you know, the world needs a quickening. Instead of blaming everybody else for the issues that they see, how about looking at yourself and healing how you see the world and so forth. So we began talking, and <clears throat> I have that other deck, which the power deck, which I so love. And I brought that to him so he could see what I do. And <clears throat> he liked it very much. And, um, you know, as we went along, um, he just decided that he would give it a try. And so three years ago or so, we started uh, working on this project. And it really has taken three years to get to this point. So at this time, I'd like to bring Robert on. Robert, are you there? I am here. Yes. I've been enjoying the show. Well, <laughs> looking at your picture and reading a little bit about you, you're from Oklahoma, so am I. And, oh, uh, really? Oh, yes. Where? And I, I know of your work. I have seen your work at, at different uh, museums and places around Oklahoma, so I was thrilled when oh. I saw that you had teamed up with Lynn. To, to bring your wonderful art uh, to her cards. So tell us well, a little bit you. about yourself and um, and how you feel about uh, participating with Lynn with these decks of cards. Well, I was I was born and raised in Oklahoma, uh, uh, and the, the art has always been something that I've pursued. I, I had an uncle who was a professional artist. Uh, he was a wildlife artist, Wallace Hughes. And uh, when I was six years old, one of our little family gatherings, we'd always uh, have the uh, watermelons and ice thrown out in the horse trough, and, and we'd let them get cold, and we'd spread out butcher paper across long uh, pieces of plywood to use for tables. And uh, I was there with my uncle, and uh, I asked him, would teach me to draw? 
and he just started laughing. And uh, he sat there and he uh, he doodled this uh, bald headed eagle, and, and he taught me to do that in that afternoon. And uh, to this day, I still do that same doodle. But uh, when I was finished, I said, uh, "Well, now uh, I can do this, but I want to do something else." And he goes, "Well, that's that's where your part comes in." He said, "If you really want to do it, you'll work at it." And and that's for me that became a passion. And that's how when Lynn and I first met uh, in the gallery in Santa Fe, the first thing I uh, I discovered real quick we we saw a lot of the same the world in the same through the same eyes, and. Uh, I was just uh, actually uh, honored when she did approach me about doing the deck because after I first met her, I sought out to find out who exactly who she was. And uh, I was astounded that her her vision of the world was part of went along with what I was, my whole career had been, is that we're one single tribe. Uh, we're, we're different clans, but we're all the tribe of humanity. And when she, well, this whole idea came up, I liked the idea because art, actually is basically nothing but a doorway and i've said this over and over that i build doors and if it's decorated right you open it up and it takes you someplace not me or anybody else it takes you to a place and where that place is is art and using it in these cards it actually acts not only is that the place that it takes you but where you end up is a mirror and it's a chance for enlightenment and at that moment you're having this contrast of what was and what you all of a sudden from from observer to participant and that's what art does to you and it's this all of a sudden oneness and at that point in time you can be in a room my grandfather used to say anybody can walk into a room but sometimes you need help turning on the light and i realized real quick lynn knew how to turn on the light and that's how our, our collaboration actually was born so um I noticed that you use a lot of distortions in your paintings. Uh, give us some insight of why you use the distortions. Uh, the distortions used for several, it's a vehicle that's been used by a lot of artists over time. Uh, what I like about it is it, it's a visual way of showing prayer. Uh, like uh, I've, I've been accused of having dissipating heads at times because of a lot of splattering I'll do around the head or the face. And, and I, what it actually symbolizes is that visual prayer. Uh, in prayer, the the, cell, the 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 I disappears. We become the we at that time. We you have to become one with all creation, and that's what prayer does for you. And that's what uh, I'm trying to show in the painting, and also of the distortion. The uh, it, it gives you a chance. It's enlarged hands gives you a vehicle to try to have people look at something that that you're wanting them to look at. It becomes a a, a, a sign uh, pointing to kind of look at this. And it's it's that all at once. It's that uh, uh, sharp contrast and, and an abrupt abrupt count, encounter you have, and that's why I juxtapose different things with distortion. And it also is a good way of showing enlarged hands, enlarged body, torso that we're anchored to the earth. But then we get back up to that showing that the distortion or di- uh, of the head area is that. We may be anchored to the earth, but our souls and our spirit is always heavenly bound. I wanted to ask you about one particular card, if, if you remember it. It's number 10. It's called Power, and it's, it's, it's a, a man with um, beige cloth kind of wrapped around him in several areas like he can't move. And I was right. wondering why you chose 
this particular distortion for power? It's the but the title of the painting is Butterfly Dream. And oh, butterfly. Okay. We, and we tend to forget. What I want, one thing is for the painting is also used to show that who we are, just like the the caterpillar inside of the cocoon before it becomes the butterfly, is that who we are is who we are inside, and that power resides within us, and it has to emerge. And and that's what the idea of the butterfly dreaming is, it'd it be emerging from the cocoon. And then also the idea, if you look at the card, this is for the viewer to think, ponder also, you sit there and look at it, and he has a, a wand, a dancing wand, and attached to it is a monarch butterfly. And you have to ask yourself the question, do caterpillars play with butterflies? And there, that's you know, it's back really to funny the day that this deck arrived, um, a monarch butterfly came in my kitchen and landed on the floor. Did oh, it really? Yeah, oh, <laughs> it did. I haven't know that. And I haven't seen one here in years, so I don't know where it came from because all the all the pesticides have almost killed all of our insects in this area. We don't see cottontail rabbits anymore or oh. or or anything anymore. So I was really surprised to see that. Well, we have fewer monarchs here in Oklahoma now too. That's a shame. So, so where were you raised in Oklahoma? What part of the state? In Tulsa. I was born in Tulsa and basically raised in Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, I was raised by, uh, basically by my uh, grandparents. And my grandfather, who was uh, had a third-grade education, came to Oklahoma in a covered wagon. And uh, me and him in 1969 sat at 2 in the morning and watched a man walk on the moon. And uh, he was no. also the smartest, the smartest man I ever knew. And the butterflies, and since we're on that subject, uh, the last time I saw my grandfather was when I was uh, leaving for the military, and he took me to the Tulsa bus depot, and he just walked up before I got on the bus and said, just remember this, you're going to go to strange places, meet strange people, but everybody understands a smile and a butterfly. Oh, my and goodness. So that's, and that's the butterfly my came the day the deck came. Well, isn't that something? Wow. That is. Oh. You know, I lived in Tulsa for a while. Uh, back in the uh, in the seventies, I was uh, I was sales manager for KMOD Radio. Uh, oh, yeah. Tulsa, yeah. <laughs> that was another life ago. <laughs> believe it. Phil and Brian. Yeah. yeah. So, Robert, um, <laughs> let me ask you: How do you begin a painting? Does an idea come to you what you're doing, or do you just let your hands uh, just just take off and, and surprise you? Well, I, I wish I could say I was one of those artists. Those artists usually really irritate me. Say I had a dream, got up, and something got in my hand. I say there's a lot. I say make, doing a painting's like giving birth. It take it, it's a lot of work, but all all my work starts either with a title or the story. And the title is when I say it starts with a title. I already have a storyline, but the title is the main thrust thought, and that's where the composition's always built around that. And uh, uh, so that's the way it all, they all start. And then it just comes from a, uh, like, like a magpie. I just start accumulating things that go along images, images and some symbols, symbols that kind of uh, tickle my fancy. And uh, I do a, a large sketch, and then uh, uh, I do a cutout. I cut them out, and they look like paper dolls because I start rearranging stuff on the canvas until it tells the story I want it to tell. I especially like uh, the way that you presented the birds in this deck. 
I think the way you wrapped them, uh, it, it's like one that I'm looking at. It's like the, the bird is sitting in this little pouch, and it looks so cool. It's called Worthiness Blue what? Medicine. What a beautiful oh, card yeah. this is. For those that, of you listening, you've just got to get yourself a deck of these cards. They're just wonderful. If you like the power deck that Lynn did years ago, you will love this deck. Well, Robert, let me ask you further. Um, when did the two of you uh, decide to to come together on this great adventure of these cards? Was it right after you met, or was it several several months later after you met? When did you finally decide? It, it was. It was. We we met. I think. About at least a year prior to when we uh, Lynn actually approached and told me uh, she just came in the gallery one day and I don't think this was in an opening Lynn I don't really remember if it was in an opening yeah. I was in town and you'd asked him when I was going to be in town and Lynn had heard me tell stories about my paintings and and uh, she'd asked me to write a couple of stories on pieces that she owned and then she came to me and she actually I I believe you actually had one of the copies of what I'd written. And, and you just said, I'd like to talk to you about some things. And that's how it actually started. And like I said, I was so honored and taken back by it. And it took Lynn to uh, kind of a little bit of the coaxing to nudge me that direction because uh, I wanted to make sure the imagery would match the teaching. Well, boy, it does. And as you said before, we we really do uh, see the world through um the same eyes, kindred spirits for sure, and I think it took us it took us three years uh, to really uh, bring this, you know, to to first start it, and then to to sell it to Simon and Schuster or Beyond Words, and um, and then to really um, pull it together, and. I wanted to ask you, Robert, uh, have you had any any ET experiences that you could share with us? Have you seen um, extraterrestrials or beings in the sky? No. I, I, uh, now, when I was in the Navy, we actually chased a underwater, a submerged UFO, and uh, we uh, they actually didn't even wouldn't even write it off as a whale or sub. They just wrote it off as unexplained. But uh, I myself, you know, I've not seen anything of that nature. I've had other out-of-body experiences, but not that, not for aliens. Yeah, okay. How about you, Lynn? Oh, golly. Uh, I wrote in my second book, uh, my second book was called Flight of the Seventh Moon, but it was the teaching of the shields. But they, uh, Simon, or no, um, my publisher changed it to Spirit Woman, um, the teaching of the shields. Anyway, at the end of that book, I talk about being on a on a high mesa <clears throat> with my uh, teachers, and uh, we um, called down the flying shields, and the flying shields were from. Uh, another place, Pleiades, or whatever somebody wants to think. Um, but I definitely experienced them, and they definitely were there for us. And then I gave an event at Ghost Ranch 
in New Mexico, and I give this uh, one big event every year, and it's open to everyone. And the we were um, giving a ceremony for the Thunder Beings and uh, White Star Woman and. It was late at night. We had a sacred fire, and I'll be darned if the disc didn't come down right over us. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, one person who saw it. It was all of us. And um, then another time, my daughter and I were in Switzerland in a place called Sasse, skiing over Christmas. And... um, Vanessa got up in the middle of the night and she was looking out the window and uh, it was beautiful. It was a full moon. And she started yelling at me. She said, Mom, Mom, got to see this. And there were three uh, that had to be ships came down into the valley and they would just sit stationary and then come towards us or our direction and just sit and then another place and then off they'd go and they were gone in a in a moment didn't hear anything uh, couldn't really see any definition it was just a, a disc of white and um, I think uh, when I have worked with uh, the Sisterhood of the Shields is a group of uh, there's 44 of us, and we're women of high degree. Uh, you, most of the women are na- from Native cultures, and we are together, and we share um, so much together, the teachings, and I don't want to, we don't have enough time for me to go into that, but in Medicine Woman, I talk about it, and certainly in Spirit Woman, I talk about it when I first met this extraordinary group of women. So I I might just add that the sacred feminine is behind the wisdom in these cards. Um, Sacred feminine meaning that we live on Mother Earth. She's a female planet. So you have to remember that there is a firstness of woman and it is law. It has always been that way. And that's what Agnes told me very, very early on. And the wisdom that uh, I have been taught that is uh, held uh, in clay pots. There are seven clay pots, and this wisdom has been written and memorized down through the women in history for thousands of years. And that's, of course... Uh, a leap of faith for people and I understand, you know, I don't ask anybody to believe it. I'm just telling you um, what I have experienced. And this wisdom has been carried by the women because in ancient times when there would be uh, wars, usually uh, the women would survive and the children. And so the women would pass this wisdom down to daughters and you know grandmothers and the like throughout history and held I wanted to ask you Lynn back in 1988 I remembered uh, that 
you had just come back from the Himalayas and you were coming to a big event in Pasadena. And oh, you yes. had just um I just wondered if you ever wrote about that trip that you took to the Himalayas. Oh my gosh, yes. I wrote a book called um um <laughs> Let me see if I can remember the title, uh, Windhorse Woman. Okay. And Windhorse Woman is one of the favorite books that I have written. Uh, I flew into Kathmandu and went to work with Ani, who is a Nepalese hill woman. And from her village, uh, we went up into the Himalayas um, into Tibet, when we were not supposed to be in Tibet, when the Red Chinese had come in. And it was against the law to go into Tibet. So the whole the story about all of that in Windhorse Woman. And Windhorse Woman is, a, I think, one of the best books I've written. And it has a lot to do with understanding that you make death your ally so that you can live fully in your present life. Right, right. And, you know, it's all about that. It's full of humor and, oh, gosh, they play tricks on me <laughs> big time. <laughs> but we're so, we're so fortunate to have you as our guest tonight, and you too, Robert. But at this time, I'd like to pass you over to Arielle, who's my co-host. She has the switchboard, and would you be willing maybe to answer some questions from some of our guests. I would, certainly. Okay. I'd love so, Ariel, back to you. Okay. Well, I have just been enthralled, and um, I'm looking. I'm going to be looking up more of your books because they just, they really do chronicle um, a lifetime of, of revelation and learning and wisdom. So, um, at this time... If anyone is already on the switchboard and you have a question um, or a comment, you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1, and um, we will bring you on the air. We actually have... um, a caller right now in the screening room. So as soon as they are done, we like to make sure that um, that they stay on topic. And um, when you when people call in, would you be um, willing to to draw a card for them? Absolutely. Okay. So I think I think, I think Robert would. would too. Great. Great. Okay, so let's see. Um, oh, they're not quite. Oh, they're almost done. Get out of the screening room, and we can um, find out who we'll be talking to as soon as they let okay. me know. Okay. So this is a um, wonderful show yeah. that you have. It, it, well, thank it you. It is. Thank. You. We have, um, as Lavendar said, a very awakened audience, um, star seeds in particular, and uh, we've been on the air. Uh, since 2010, and actually, um, I, I didn't make the announcement tonight, but we just passed the 1 million listens, um, um, historical Back listens in, in seven years. We've had oh, a million listens to our show. and uh, Golly, that's fabulous. 
Well, we're <laughs> I've been watching that. It's like, okay, another couple of weeks and we'll be there. And, and this week, um, uh, or last week, we actually topped the one million mark. And, um, you know, we do have a really wonderful audience and a lot of shows in the archives, over, I think, 350 last time I looked. Oh, so, my. Um, That's grand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of topics, and, and certainly um, the the first year we did a lot of things um, from Lavendar's vault and a lot of her writings in that, in that first year, and maybe the second year as well. Uh-huh. But, um, Robert, when I looked at your um, your page on the askart.com, um, mm-hmm. I was I was I mean, curious. I mean, you had um, a, a list of all the tribes. I mean, you have um, Native American family all around you, don't you? Oh yes, and uh, I'm a true Oklahoman. We're, we're it's just such it's a mix. Uh, people don't know that. Oh, Forget that Oklahoma was the melting pot for the tribes, especially the Plains tribes. But, but we even have an Aleut area. We don't really have official reservations in Oklahoma, but the Aleuts have a, a, a land area in Oklahoma. And, no, uh, and so now we have no I, way. <laughs> well, um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just so glad that, that you are with us tonight. And our caller is now um, ready to come online. You're going to be talking to Amber, so let me get your mic open, Amber. Okay, Amber, you are on the air with Lynn and Robert, and go ahead with your question. Hello. Um, My question was I wanted to ask Robert, what materials did he use to make his paintings, and what does the monarch butterfly personally symbolize for him? Uh, I haven't. I originally started out uh, in tempera, I uh, went to uh, oils, and when I my daughter was born uh, uh, 33 years ago, I put up the oils because of voice because of the toxicity, uh, and I've just never went back. Uh, I, I use acrylics, and uh, I paint on mainly on stretched canvas, but I, I've I've done murals on on walls, and 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 I do like board, uh, but it's uh, the, the weight becomes a problem with that, and the butterflies. Uh, like I said, the, the duality of it, the one thing they represent, rebirth. And uh, I actually was raised under the concept that we die every night and are born every morning. And uh, I found the butterfly to be a, a, just a magnificent symbol for that. And it's also a universal symbol. So that's the main thrust of it. And But also to show the fragility of, of life itself also. Huh. <laughs> Okay, well, that answered oh, your question I, then, I, uh, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh. I wanted to mention, um, by where I live, we have a big monarch population, and they die on the beach by Lake Michigan. It's quite amazing, to be honest. Oh, my gosh. They, what do they do? They go up to Lake Michigan, and they uh, well, on the I beach? Well, I live by Lake I live by Lake Michigan, and we have a plains preserve, so there's tons of monarchs there. And the beach is right by the preserve, so a lot of the butterflies will fly over the water, and they'll die on the beach. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Really? And and those butterflies migrate all the way down into Mexico, and then they make the migration back up north. Uh, uh, Yeah, they do. But they're they're a great – they're – 
beauty in motion, and that's another reason I like it. Yeah. Well, they're fabulous, and they really show transformation. I wrote a book uh, called Jaguar Woman, and it began in the north and following the butterflies down into the Yucatan in Mexico to the butterfly trees. Ooh, that's so cool. Yeah, you'd enjoy that. So what do you do? Oh, I'm an artist, too. That's why I was interested in his medium and stuff. Well, what's uh-huh. your medium? Uh, I do mixed-media artworks with some different, like, paints. I specialize in, like, glitter and um, different papers and stuff. Oh, that's magnificent. Uh, that's that's one of the things uh, that I find really exhilarating, uh, uh I, I, I'm, I'm almost—I hate to say it now here in Oklahoma. I'm one of the elders in the in the area, and but I'm so excited about seeing <laughs> the younger wave of artists that are coming up, and they're not being uh, pigeonholed into just the, the traditional uses of, of material. And I and I admire that, and I applaud you for it. Oh, thank you. I um do you believe like I'm only 24, but. I had like a classical kind of like foundation and that really helped my personalized style to be honest with the glitter and the papers and stuff. Oh, that's great. That is. And remember Amber when you any do when you do anything you can put your intent into whatever medium you're using. And a lot of star seeds are are doing that. So um, do you have a website? Totally. Uh, yeah, I I use glitter because the sun, like they say, light is life, and the throughout the day the glitter will shine differently because of the light, and they'll become a totally different piece based on the colors inside the glitter. Uh, my website's twilightsoma.com. I, I, find that, I, I love that. I love that concept. I like that a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I just have to agree with what Ariel just said. Just for everybody else who's listening, just every human being is an artist, and it's just whatever your passion is is your art. And uh, I was all like I said, I was raised with that concept of, of living the day and dying at night and being reborn, but uh, also with the concept that every human being being an artist is your body's your brush. The earth is your canvas, and your pa- your life is your painting. Okay. Yes, that's grand. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to sit and think about that one for a while here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's interesting with these cards. It helps you access uh, so much of what we're talking about today. You know, it helps you when you've had a, a day that you, you know, you're full of, of, uh, you know, your job and traffic and everything else. The the deck really does bring you back quickly to your heart and to your soul. Yes. It it, it serves the purpose to look within yourself. And I love Lynn uh, has always, uh, one thing that we, we hit it off real quick when she started, we first met when she's always talked to me about people taking responsibility for things. And, and 
uh, Art opens the door for the conversation, and Lynn is the, uh, puts out a great conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so are you. I think uh, that Robert is probably one of the best conversationalists I've met, I must say. Well, well, uh, we'll, well, well, it's true. We'll all sit down you. to dinner, and and you know, hours later, we realize we better go home. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Well, Amber, yes, did that um, answer your questions then? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much for calling in, and keep up Thanks. the good work. Okay. Yeah, thank so you, Amber. Bye bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, well, we have another caller. You're going to be talking to Elaine. So let me get your mic open. Hi, Elaine. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Ariel. Hello. Yes, Go I ahead have and a ask question. Go ahead. Um, for Lynn and or Robert, if they are familiar with an artist named Marianne Williams, I um, purchased one of her original watercolor art when I was in Orlando, Florida in the late 80s. And it's been hard for me to find information about her, but she has one called Dancing Till Dawn that is um, just amazing what it does. Opens your heart. It's about four American Indian women facing the sunrise, giving offering like corn, tobacco, it looks like. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with her. Okay. Well, I can hardly wait to get some of your cards and look at the art from them because the American Indian art seems to have um, special connection with a lot of star seeds. I think it's oh, because... Think... Uh... Go ahead, Liam. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I just say... I think it's because we're tribal. We're we're, we're inna- innately tribal, and uh, native art speaks to that part of our soul. Well, thank That's you again point. for all that you do. Yeah, okay. you know it's incredible. We're of this time and of this soil, and that's one of the reasons I, I forgot to say that. That's one of the reasons that I approached Robert about this because, you know, there's so much wisdom from the Middle East, uh, Rumi, there's so much wisdom from India and Egypt and the Himalayas, and here we are on this continent with such power from Mother Earth beneath our feet, you know, and uh, I thought that it would be wonderful to encourage people to... Um, to correspond with the language of nature and the animals and the earth that we live on. Well, thank you. It seems like as star seeds, at least from where I'm living, the animals are communicating stronger lately in the last month, especially since the eclipse. I don't yes. know if you've noticed anything since. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's true. Those yeah. little ET um, insects, um, praying mantis, um, oh, they yeah. seem to be drawn, drawn to me. <laughs> they look like they're <laughs> from, oh, really? Okay. they look like ETs. Uh, that's fun. 
Thank you. Well, thanks for calling in, Elaine. Bye-bye. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. Uh, Well, we've got another caller that is not quite ready to come on the air yet. So, um, oh, they accidentally hit the one button, so they didn't have a question. So I guess we have... um, Yes, go ahead. Ariel, forgive me for interrupting, but I have an interview coming up. I didn't know that you needed us for a, uh, a couple of hours. Oh, oh, no, that's that's fine. We just, you know, um, just chat afterwards, but we, are, we have uh, no more callers with no more questions, so I think we are ready to wrap it up. And oh, oh good. Well, thing. You've been so wonderful. What a beautiful show. Um, I can see why you have a huge uh, membership. Well, there's lots yeah. of star seeds, and they're hungry for this information. <laughs> you know, so oh. um, that's the well, big I, reason for it. But I, thank I you so much. An honor. Oh, I just to say, well, I want to go say ahead, thanks. Robert. Your format, your format is just really outstanding. I really like what you do, and I appreciate it. It's an honor to be able to have the opportunity to be here, Ariel. Well, and we also oh, feel honored that you've both spent time with us this evening and shared your gifts with our audience. Well, I'm very grateful that you give us a chance uh, to be heard in the world in this way. It's uh, marvelous. And thank you so much for having us on. And may there be soft winds at your back until we meet again. I love that. Well, thank you so much. We have been talking to Lynn Andrews and Robert Taylor, and their collaboration is known as the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards. And you can uh, check out Lynn's website. It's lynn, L-Y-N-N, andrews.com. And um, Robert is on askart.com. The link is in our announcement, but it's really, really long, so... You won't be writing it down, I know, so I'm just not going to just go to askart.com and look for Robert Lee Taylor. So um, thank you both for being with us, and, and I hope that you will come back, and we can talk about this some more, and if you certainly have other projects that you want to promote, just let us know. Thank, thank you very much. Okay. Yes, you are wonderful. so welcome. See you soon. <laughs> thank you so much. And all from right. all of us here, everybody. and to you as well. Nam- okay. Namaste. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for sharing your time with us, and we will be back next week. Until then, make sure you find something to be grateful for every day. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 